Hi, this is David Flower, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. A reading of the book of Ruth, chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the banner to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one else has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his properties so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashan. Nashan, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, 
Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Rochelle. Our children invited the kids on worship at this time, if you want to do that. Or if your parents so allow, you can stay in here with us. Good morning, Grantham Church. I just want to say, I'm just reminded this morning of how worship is a group effort. (laughs) It's a team sport. And when we worship together, we're not here to be entertained. Amen? And we are blessed with a lot of gifted musicians, aren't we? And let's just give, give thanks to God for that. And I know that it's Pastor Dave's greatest desire that all of these things would help to lead you to experience God each and every Sunday. That is our, that is our aim together. Well, this is the final message in a four-part series called The Gospel According to Ruth. You want to go ahead and open up your Bible to the book of Ruth? You can do that. The book of Ruth is a short story with a big message about how God cares for those who've gone through unexpected loss and feel overlooked, how He is at work in the day-to-day activities of ordinary people. It's a book that pushes social and cultural boundaries and highlights the beauty of faithfulness integrity, loyalty, and resilience. As we'll see and discover today, the book of Ruth is an invitation to see how our lives are a part of God's bigger plan. Is he weaving a story of redemption out of all the details? So to begin, I want to show you a, f- a few images. Have you ever seen those images where you look real close at something, you try to guess what it is, and then you, then you get the, the, you know, the pull away, the zoom out, and you see what it is. Let's do that together to begin this match. Let's look at the first one. And I'm starting kind of easy. I think this is an easy one. Look at that for just a moment and see if you can figure out what this is. If you think you know, you can blurt it out. It's okay. Any guesses? Let's zoom out and see what it is. I heard somebody say it, cantaloupe. All right, another close-up. Ooh, what is it? Hmm. Any guesses? I heard coffee. Survey says, (laughs) let's zoom out, what is it? It's coffee. I see like a heart there, right? Because most of us love coffee. Let's look at another one. Make it a little harder this time. Ooh, that's pretty. I heard sponge. Let's see if it's a sponge. Zoom out. It's a sponge. I'm sorry, I don't I didn't come prepared for any prizes for those who get this. Sorry, Paul. Okay, one more close up. This may be the hardest one. I don't know. We'll see. Any guesses? Hmm. 
Okay, let's zoom out. What is it? It's a book. Now, why did I show you these images? <laughs> to wake you up? No. Um, what's the point? You know, sometimes it's not easy to see the bigger picture or uh, a bigger story without scale or context. You know, when you're so small and you're looking close up with our finite knowledge and limited vision, it's, it's easy not to see things so clearly, especially when it comes to our own lives, right? It's not until we start to zoom out and see more details that we say, oh, of course, I see it now, I see it, how did I miss that? And I think our lives and our faith journey can be a lot like that. We're looking for meaning and purpose. Uh, why are these people in my life? You might be thinking, I really wish they weren't. <laughs> why are these people in my life? Why is this happening to me? Where are things going? Is everything random? Or is God guiding people, including me, and events to a certain end? And since we're just one among 7.9 billion people on earth living in a complex and mysterious universe, we could really use some insights into these things. And good news, in this concluding message of our Ruth series, we, we do see evidence and receive some comfort that God is not only at work behind the scenes of human history, but that the lives of those who pursue the Lord and align themselves with His character and divine will are imbued with meaning and purpose. That our acts of faith and good works are brought into His grand redemptive plan. This morning we're going to hear a, a powerful reminder that God is redeeming His people and wants to weave our journey, our faith journey, into a cosmic narrative of salvation. Again, if you would, open up to the book of Ruth. That's Joshua, Judges, Ruth, the first part of the Old Testament. Turn to chapter 4. And as you're turning there, let me summarize what, you've already, what we've already seen in chapters 1 through 3, especially for those who may be just joining us this morning for the final message in this series. The book of Ruth takes place during the time of the Judges, we've said, where there was no king in Israel and everyone did as they saw fit. It's a violent, lawless time, and it's, it's not easy to find a faithful Israelite in Judah, but we do in this story here in the book of Ruth. A reminder that no matter how bad things get, not everyone has forsaken the Lord. Ruth begins with the narrator telling us, narrator telling us that there was a famine in the land that caused Naomi with her husband and two sons to move down to Moab on the other side of the Dead Sea. Ten years later, Naomi's husband and two sons die, leaving her with two Moabite daughter-in-laws and no grandchildren. And this is just about the worst thing that could ever happen to Naomi. So Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem, asks Ruth and Orpah to stay there in Moab, right, their, their home territory where they had a better chance at life. Orpah, she stays, but Ruth is adamant about going with Naomi. She covenants with her. And she vows to worship Yahweh, the true God, and never leave Naomi's side. So in chapter 2, they arrive at Bethlehem. The famine is over, and since they have nothing, they look for food and lodging. Remember, Ruth goes out and discovers a field to, to glean the grain and barley there. And remember, Ruth shows up to glean just because, or, or just about the time that the landowner, Boaz, arrives. He learns of her story. He's so moved by Ruth's loyalty and devotion to her Israelite mother-in-law and her desire to worship 
their God, that he vows to provide and protect these vulnerable women. At the end of that first day, we learn that Boaz is not just any relative, remember? He's not just any relative. It just so happens to be a family redeemer. And this gives Naomi and Ruth hope in their loss and grief. Remember, this is part of Jewish law, uh, that this person would care for those who've been widowed and left behind, take their land and, and uh, children if they had any, and continue the family name. Again, while God isn't directly mentioned to be doing anything in this story, the narrator wants us to see that God moves his plans forward behind the scenes and works through his people. And then last week in chapter 3, at the end of the harvest, Naomi directed Ruth to change out of her grieving widow clothes, dress like an eligible woman for marriage. She tells Ruth that she should go to Boaz while he's asleep on the threshing floor, uncover his feet, and expose them to the cold night air. When Boaz wakes up, Ruth asks him to be her and Naomi's family redeemer and take responsibility to care for them. Again, this was not their custom. Ruth is proposing to Boaz.
Verse 9, Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, and with the land I have acquired from Ruth, the Moabite widow, to Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You will be witnesses of this today. Then the elders and all the people standing at the gate replied, We are witnesses. May Yahweh, may the Lord, make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Look at these blessings that are being poured out here upon Boaz, who continues to show he's a man of noble and virtuous character. It might not have made the best business sense, as we already saw the one family redeemer passed it up, but Boaz knew it was the right thing. God was leading him to do it. Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, if, if there had been any doubt, by the way, in chapter 3, what happened? We looked at that last week. Looked like some shady stuff going on there. It was very clear now that nothing sexually happened then. It is at this point that Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife, and she becomes pregnant. Now, notice it says the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. And she gave birth to a son. How many times have we seen that in the scriptures? God's promise is being fulfilled because he enables something to happen. Praise the Lord who's now provided. Naomi says, praise the Lord who's now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. You see what's happening here. Let's keep going. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he's the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. So Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse, and the grandfather of David. <laughs> wow, my friends. It turns out that these common people achieve uncommon ends through their faithfulness and integrity and their selfless acts of love and loyalty because they chose to remain on the path of righteousness and unwavering commitment to God. The Lord makes a way where there seemed to be no way. God exalts these people and he blesses Israel and ultimately the whole earth through them because of this. And as Matthew will tell us in his genealogy in Matthew chapter one, all of this, all of these acts of righteousness and faithfulness through this genealogy lead to who? They lead to Jesus, who is the family redeemer of the world in the royal line of David. 
I, ju I just find this story so meaningful, and so inspirational, so powerful. You take these characters that seem insignificant, but their decisions and their small acts of love go a long way, that God uses it and weaves it into his story that by the end of the story, just imagine if you didn't know, a lot of you knew where this was going, but imagine if you didn't know and you get to that last part and it's like, oh my goodness. The line of David, the king of Israel, the line of Messiah. There's a lot of things to pull from this chapter in Ruth. Let's look at some key themes from chapter four. Right away, you should notice we learn here that God cares about the details of your life and he wants to weave your story into his bigger story. But sometimes, I think for, in order for us to see that, and I think God can enable us to see it, we need to zoom out, right? Because we are, we're close up in our own life and the messiness of life and what seems like the ambiguity of life that we have trouble seeing it. But I think God wants to remind us this morning that what is happening with you matters in the bigger story. We also see that God is looking for those who will yield to his spirit and be a part of his redemptive plan. This past week in my email to the congregation, I reminded us that sometimes when we're, when we're praying and maybe we're going through a difficult time, we're suffering, we're experiencing pain or loss, we're wondering why God isn't doing anything or not acting fast enough. And while I know that a lot of times that is a mystery, there's some things that we should keep in mind. I like to think of God as sort of this master chess player. Have you ever played chess? Or maybe you're not that fancy. You played checkers, okay? <laughs> you know, one of the things that you have to do in games like these is you have to anticipate the moves, not only your moves, but the moves of your opponent. You know that God can do that infinitely. It's a much grander view of God's sovereignty than some segments of the church uh, want to espouse. Not only does God not just know one future, he knows all of them infinitely and perfectly. God can anticipate our moves and the moves of others. And think about this world, which I've just described to you, that God is having to deal with. And these aren't lifeless chess pieces. They're people with volitions and wills, human beings and angels as well, who don't always yield to his will. So God's gotta deal with that too. You see, God may be working on someone to come to your aid, but they're not listening. God may be speaking to you, but you're not listening. It can be all kinds of things. There's also spiritual warfare. We believe in that here at Grantham all kinds of reasons why it may seem that God is slow. But we need to be reminded this morning within this bigger story that it's important that we yield ourselves to what God wants to do. You know, we can be like this other family redeemer who makes a good financial decision but doesn't do what is right and he gets forgotten. Nobody remembers his name because he's not willing to do what may be hard, may be risky, but most definitely is right. 
Do we trust in the Lord in this way? Are we willing to say yes and yield to the Spirit, regardless of how difficult that might be? God is looking for people to do that. Also, point three here, I think another theme we see, God works on our behalf when we align ourselves with His heart and His will, but salvation takes time. Again, sort of building off what I've just said here. Salvation takes time, but this is something that we have to work out. Paul said this, to work out our faith in fear and in trembling. And then lastly, we see this, that God blesses those who've been humbled by His grace and exalts those who embody the gospel. If you still have your Bible open, you can look there, those last few verses, verses 18 through 22. I know when you're reading the Bible, it's real easy just to skip over those genealogies. You know, by the way, I have a new appreciation for genealogies. I recently, I told you, I did one of those uh, genealogy things. You give them your DNA and they tell you where you came from. Fascinating, fascinating. But when the biblical writers do this, it is for a purpose. It is to say that God is continuing to fulfill His promises and that God is willing to use uh, some very suspicious, shady-looking people to do it. Look at this. Look at verse 21 there, if you've got your Bible open. Who is Boaz's father? Salmon. Who's he? Well, Matthew 1, verse 5, you want to flip over the New Testament. This is interesting. Interesting. Matthew 5, verse, or Matthew, sorry, chapter 1, verse 5, also tells us that Salmon was his father, but it also says that Boaz's mother was who? Anybody looking? Rahab. Who was Rahab? Flip over to Joshua chapter 2 and you will see that Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute who helps the Israelites spy in the land, the promised land. Did you think of that when you were reading the story about Boaz's graciousness? How is it that Boaz can be so gracious not looking at the letter of the law, but for the spirit of the law, that he's willing to do what's right even when it's hard. Maybe it's because Boaz knew where he came from. Maybe it's because Boaz understood the grace of God and God's inclusion into his family like most people don't. Wow. And all of this is in the line of Jesus. This is what God is doing in the world. If we'll just yield to the Spirit, if we'll say yes to His redemptive plan,
I'll miss that meeting. I think I'll skip that Bible study. I'm not really filling up to my small group. And I don't mean to shame us. I, I really don't. But how many times I have seen God work in those spaces and turn and see those people aren't there. We're missing opportunities. What opportunities may God want to reveal to you this morning? It says, it's time to show up. It's time to be present. I know it's hard, but I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you, forsake you. Do what is right. If it means risking, then risk. Stand in the gap. Do what you know is true, and I will reward your faith. I hear this as an invitation to us this morning, church. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless others through you in our congregation. I know life is hard. I know things get busy, and sometimes we're just exhausted. But if we will just persevere, if we'll stick it out, if we'll do what is right when no one is looking, you know, if, we, if we'll just be faithful to God and leave everything else to Him, God will show up in ways that will surprise you. God will bless you so that you can be a blessing. Brothers and sisters, if we, if we want to know more of the Lord and experience His peace in the dark times, His freedom from sin, His mercies that the Bible says are new every morning, His grace that sustains us, and His loving kindness that inspires us to, to do the same, that we must intentionally pursue Him and be eager to do good. Because what we give the Lord day to day has a great deal to do with what we get back from the Lord day to day. If we're giving Him only a little, then we'll likely see little change. But if we're giving Him our whole selves, we'll most certainly see the fruit of our labor. I'm reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 at the end of this great resurrection passage. Right? Your, your labor in the Lord is not in vain, church. Why? Because of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Give him your best, and the Lord will bless you beyond comprehension. So my friends, let's surrender all we have to God and keep stumbling forward in Christ. Stumble forward to this communion table this morning, which we're about to partake. Work out your salvation and watch the Spirit move in your life the way He did for the faithful in the book of Ruth. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for the book of Ruth. What a beautiful story. What a theological work of art. These seemingly insignificant people who through their acts of faith and righteousness, you have weaved them into your grand redemptive plan. And Lord, we need to be reminded this morning of how you're doing that with us. And what we're doing may never go viral, may never win a Grammy or an Oscar. No one ever may notice us, but you see us. And the works that we are doing for you, they last in the kingdom. Lord, remind us of that this morning. As we approach the communion table here just a moment, would you, would you be real to us, Lord Jesus? Would you be present in our lives in an undeniable way? May we sense your love and your favor and your goodness 
your loving kindness. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said,